ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Just a warning that this episode deals with some confronting material, including childhood trauma. There's also high-energy punk gigs and anarcho-environmentalism. But it does get intense. And some language that's really not suitable for children. So be careful listening. My dad gave me an old pair of hiking boots that he had because I couldn't afford Dr Martens. I saw a few albums where people had bleached their jeans, so I put bleach on jeans and then wrote band names and slogans. I'd spike my hair with soap, but it just looked ridiculous. Hey there, it's Faz, and this is Days Like These. It's mid-80s Perth and Neil is 14. He's in high school and struggling to find his place. He doesn't fit in, doesn't feel like he's found his thing. And then into the schoolyard comes the thing that might just save him. The message bearer is a new kid all the way from Glasgow. He was big and he was tall. He looked like someone not to be messed with. He had the greatest rock and roll swindle and he had Nevermind the Bollocks, both of them by the Sex Pistols, and he used to just play them at high, high volume. And I really liked the energy of it because the anger in me was really starting to build. So I borrowed it off him and I took it home and just turned it on and turned it up to a certain point where I thought, you know, my parents aren't going to come in and interrupt me and just played through it. If you're after a soundtrack to anger, dislocation and tearing down the state, punk will do it. That moment in my bedroom with my own stereo and no one else there, it was one of the most poignant hours of my life. The child of hardcore socialists, Neil had inherited his mum and dad's leftist ideology. And it was all about smashing old power structures of capital, religion and race. They'd escaped the sectarian violence of Northern Ireland, moving to South Africa, only to find deeply rooted state-sanctioned racial violence. In Perth, Neil had struggled to find his place in a system which, on its surface, seemed sort of fine. So, in his bedroom, playing the Sex Pistols at full ball, it was like an awakening. I'd sat up a different person. This was lighting a fire underneath me. It sort of made me realise that this is who I am. A decade after its heyday in London, punk gave Neil's anger and energy. I came out of that where I was a person sitting at the back of the class, just staring out into the distance to someone that had this pinpoint focus of what I needed to do. Neil starts protesting, spraying politically charged graffiti, vandalising the corporate headquarters of the capitalist class. You know, I need to put myself out there. I need to just be flamboyant and stand out. That's what I did. That flamboyance, that need to stand out, meant Neil needed a whole new wardrobe. And the tyranny of distance meant that, in Perth, he was in the best place to embrace punk's staunchly DIY aesthetic. You could find the occasional sort of Sex Pistols and Dead Kennedys T-shirt at a record shop, but they were really rare. We did our own hair, you know, into various different hairstyles, and, you know, we made our own clothes to look like a punk because there was no way you could buy them. I wanted to have a, a jacket with studs in it. I wanted to buy a pair of boots 
and I wanted to get some T-shirts that maybe I can tear <laughs> and change or write something on. I had this tracksuit, like a bomber jacket almost, and I found this place and they sold studs in packets of 50 and 100, right? So I bought these studs, put it into this old tracksuit jacket. And in possibly the most unpunk move ever, Neil asks his mum for help. My mum was a really keen sewer, so she, <laughs> whenever I needed something sewed onto a, a denim jacket, like a patch or something, she would do it for me and do it really well. And the first anarchist flag that I made, that I screen printed myself, my mum helped me sew and screen print. My mum was really excited about me being a coming a punk. She was a socialist and she believed in me being expressive. In fact, Neil's punk aesthetic becomes a family project. My dad gave me an old pair of hiking boots that he had because I couldn't afford Dr. Martin's. I sort of built up this outfit out of things that I could find and things that were really cheap and just improvised. I'd spike my hair with soap, but it just looked ridiculous. Just got lots of people laughing. Neil doesn't care. He's in boots and all, even if they're not real Doc Martens. He's got the uniform. Now he needs an instrument. I tried to play my friend's guitar and uh, he said to me, oh, your fingers are too fat <laughs> to play guitar. But he said, you know, you should play bass. And um, I think I paid 50 bucks for this bass and then I met a couple of people at a gig who were keen on uh, starting up a band. I bought an amplifier and then we started to play music. You know, it was pretty bad, really, like we couldn't really play, but the sound we were producing brought us joy. Neil's not just fitting in anymore. This is his thing. These are his people. They're playing gigs, finding their audience. They call the band Controlled by Fear and find themselves on a collision course with people who might share their aesthetic but certainly don't share their values. Violence isn't part of the lifestyle of most people in Perth. It's an ugly, unnecessary and usually unlawful deviation from the easygoing, good-natured living that most people prefer. But these aren't most people. They're loosely called punks or punk rockers. And to them, violence is simply part of their lifestyle. Punks and skinheads, everywhere, anywhere you go around the world, they kind of exist in parallels. They kind of go to the same kind of music. They're drawn from very similar class structures, but the conclusions they come to are often quite different. To the casual observer, the punks and skinheads look pretty much the same. They wear the same T-shirts, buy the same albums. But while the punks are anti-authoritarian, anti-conformist, anti-corporatist, Perth skinheads are something else entirely. They're part of a fermenting racism of the city, which in the 80s is becoming more and more visible. The coexistence of the punks and skinheads shopping at the same record shops, going to the same gigs is increasingly becoming uneasy. And then it ratchets up. When the Nazis would turn up, things would go south because they were just there to fight. Yes, you heard right. Nazis. 
There is a rise in racially motivated attacks against Perth's Asian community and on anyone who speaks out. The band are pretty clear about where they stand. Their songs make it obvious. Among their track lists, there are titles like Royal Parasites, Bullshit Religion and Prophets from Death. These songs probably don't bother the skinheads too much, but there is one that's pretty pointed. It's called, and this is not for delicate ears, Racist Cunt. The band is brash and brave, and there are people who hate them for it. At any given moment, you need to fight. Not just with Nazi skinheads, but people who didn't like the look of you. Lots of people don't like the look of Neil. They don't like what he has to say or what he stands for. If this isn't immediately clear to him, it certainly is the day he's brutally assaulted by a group of skinheads in broad daylight. He's left concussed in a pool of his own blood with broken bones and deep physical and mental trauma. And after the bashing, Neil's had enough. The punk scene started to change in that it was getting a lot more negative and there wasn't much stuff going around about, you know, sort of radical thought. He's 17 and he needs a new tribe. My image definitely changed. So I spent a lot of time in bare feet, baggy trousers and I might wear a piece of rope as a belt. (laughs) I probably looked relatively homeless and I sort of morphed into more of what's called a crusty, which meant that I didn't really wash much. He may be grubbier, but Neil's politics haven't changed. His anger hasn't been tempered. There's forest blockades and land rights protests. He's part of an anti-McDonald's day. He needs a new uniform. No more hair spiked with soap suds. To signal his crust punk progression, it's time to cultivate a head full of dreadlocks. Got my hair put it into sections, teased it, rolled it, teased it, rolled it, put beeswax at the roots and beeswax at the end. And then for a period of time, I didn't wash my hair. And then it started to compress and sort of really grow into itself. Lots of hair comes out and you have to keep poking it back in. And I got a bit tired of that. And again, being a DIY kind of guy, I decided that I needed to branch out and do something a bit more um, permanent. I had a job as an assistant in a, in a screen printing factory and I stole a can of spray adhesive. And so I put a spray adhesive in each of my dreads and crimped them, thinking it would be a really, really good idea. So <laughs> I just ended up with these stiff, glued crimps that end up sticking to each other. I woke up the next morning and they were all stuck together. So I had to separate them from each other. I remember being harassed by the police one of the many times I'd get harassed by the police and sometimes I'd say things like, it just looks like you rubbed shit into your hair. I guess it did kind of to a degree, but I liked it. I thought it was a part of my identity. In the same way that studs on his tracksuit jacket said punk, or at least Perth punk, dreads are one way of declaring his new affiliations. What punk did and what the dreads do is give Neil a way of wearing his politics on his literal sleeve. It's anti-authoritarian, rejecting the uniform of the everyday. But in Perth in the 80s and early 90s, you don't have to try too hard to stand out. You know, even nose rings or lip rings that people might have had were really rare, really strange. People would freak out about it. 
had a piercing just below my lip, sort of in the middle of my chin. And that thing just would freak people out. And it was just a little round ball bearing on the end of a thing that went into my mouth. And they just could not comprehend. Piercing is not really a thing in Perth in the early 90s. But Neil and this tribe of eco-warriors are doing it not just for the aesthetics, but as a shared act that binds them together. If you saw someone with a piercing at that point in time, there was something familiar. It was something shared. And there are no proper piercing studios in Perth back then. Apart from the local chemist offering ear piercing, you're on your own. So what we started to do was take things to a bit more of an intense level by trying to acquire things and do things like we'd always done in a DIY kind of way. Neil's mum may have done wonders with a needle and thread in his punk days, but asking your mum to put a ring through your nipple is not such an easy conversation. So he takes matters into his own hands. There was no proper body jewellery. There was no proper needles. It was, you know, we were using emery boards to sharpen sewing needles to pierce ourselves. I had a friend who was a vet. I was talking to her about the piercing that we'd been doing and she was just like, you should be using single-use needles. I'll get you some needles. So she got me a box of 116-gauge needles, apparently for injecting horses with stuff. I don't know what. It was a game-changer. Piercing gives Neil something beyond the visible. It's as much about the process as the outcome. It seems to touch some basic need in him. And it wasn't just the, the aesthetics, it was the, the feeling of it. The feeling of it. Neil is talking about pain. And there's been a lot of psychological pain in his past. Things that have taken away his sense of power. Somehow, the physical pain of the piercing and the control he has over that pain helps him heal. And so in a lot of ways, all of the trauma that I've experienced in my past was internalised. And when I discovered piercing, I felt like every time I stuck a needle in my body, it let go of a little bit of that trauma that clings to my soul. And in the same way, playing Nevermind the Bollocks in his childhood bedroom changed everything, Neil finds another transformational scripture... This time, it's a book, Modern Primitives, by V. Vale and Andrea Juno. good friend of mine, Ian, he came over to my house and showed it to me. He'd just bought it from a bookshop. And he said to me, I can't believe this book, you've got to see it. Modern Primitives documents the re-emergence of ancient body arts and modification in Western society. And it blows Neil's mind. Two things I thought was, this is another point where life is about to take a a very swift turn and where the hell can I get my hands on this book? The book talks about the way scarring, tattooing and piercing is something spiritual, a way of finding a higher plane. And I read through it intensely and it talks a lot about people who draw correlations through traditional sorts of types of body modification and how in most situations it was used as a source to try and get people closer to God or to their creator. The book leaves nothing to the imagination with graphic images of genital piercing, branding and scarification. It's so full on, it's even the subject of an obscenity trial in England. This is not a book you buy for Mother's Day. But Neil has his manifesto. It was like a Bible for us at that time. We were just on the cusp of discovering that sort of stuff and then bang, this book hit the shelves. 
Everything you've been thinking about is suddenly turbocharged. But if a dreadlocked, barefoot, crusty punk pierces themselves in their bedroom and no one's there to see it, did it even happen? Neil's friend Olivia is studying film and TV and she's about to start work on her latest university assignment. She sort of said that she'd been thinking about doing a, a documentary about piercing. And I said, I've been thinking about piercing my dick. And she asked if she could film it. And Neil says... Yeah, absolutely. He already has his piercing picked out for the filming. He's going to give himself a frenum ring. Just below the base of the penis on the underside, there's a thing called a frenulum, which is that thin piece of skin, like a webbing. It sort of goes through there. It was very much a performance. It was like standing up on stage. Neil's been getting into permaculture and the lush backyard of his share house is the perfect backdrop for some suburban shamanism. Stripping down naked, he begins the ritual by outlining his intentions. That I was here to do something that I, I wanted to show that I could do, which is a manifestation of the things that, that are inside me. I put a rug out there and I, I even got a compass and orientated the rug north, south, east, west, and then put incense sticks in each corner, put ash on my face, almost like war paint. And then I doused myself in sage. When Olivia then said action, I sort of came walking down these steps. I guess I kind of came out with my arms out, almost a bit godlike. Now, I don't want to destroy the spiritual vibe here, but fair warning, this next bit is... Detailed. So I had these little syringe needles and I had a bit of cork for the needle to go into and then I had the jewellery. Grabbed onto my package, put some dots on there so it doesn't end up really crooked. But um, I realised very quickly, holding a cork and a syringe and your dick in your hand actually makes things really difficult to actually do a piercing. So I had to really contort my penis into this weird shape so I could put the cork behind the skin and then pierce through the skin into the cork. And my hands were sort of shaking and I was, and I was just trying to close the clasp. And I found that quite difficult because I'd sort of pushed it through. Stay with us. It's almost over. If you watch someone getting pierced, it can happen really quickly. People just push the rod through and that's it. But when you're pushing it through your own skin... You can feel it go bang, bang, bang through the different layers. And it just felt incredible. I just wanted to jump up and and dance around. And Olivia just gave me the thumbs up. And I just thought, I'm going to do another one. And so he does, guiding a second syringe needle through. Lifted up my dick and looked at the piercing that I'd just done. And it was crooked, but it was okay. You know, like I didn't care. I'd just done this and it was adorned. If I lifted my penis up underneath where the frenulum is, which runs down the underside of your penis and then right down to your your date, you'd see two rings pierced horizontally through that bit of skin. Neil's backyard piercing is strictly homespun, and so is the aftercare. You'd be surprised how quickly a lot of piercings heal. It was no problem at all. You know, you'd get the sort of scabs in the, the wound areas, which are two small holes doesn't bleed much so it's just a matter of doing it in the shower so the crusty bits that are left behind come off and then you put tea tree oil on it and then turn the sleeper 
So you sort of turn the tea tree oil into it, into the hole. After, I reckon it must have only been a week or so and it was healed. Piercing's both intensely physical, with blood and scabs and tea tree oil, and also something far less prosaic, a philosophy, a statement. There's a reason behind this, and it's not just to harm ourselves. It's that we get something from this that's actually making us sort of escalate into a higher plane for a period of time, that it brings us a, a separation from the, the, I guess, the difficulty of being human. Circumcision's fine, but you stick a needle into it and put in a ring in it. It's weird. You know, there's this connotation that our bodies belong to God. Well, they don't. They belong to us. Or our bodies belong to the state. No, they belong to us, and we'll do as we please. The dick isn't something that's meant to be fucked with. But of course it is. Neil had experienced street violence, fear, upheaval. And at a much younger age, there'd been a defining trauma too. Neil had been sexually abused by a once-trusted family friend. He was eight when it happened. And although his family had wrapped around him, and although part of him had moved on, he'd lived his life feeling dislocated. His need for connection through punk, through politics, through ideology, had partly been about healing that long-lived trauma. The pain of piercing was part of that too. And so I was using pain as a means of processing trauma. You can feel the needle going through your body, but how your brain perceives it, it would be like someone running their finger down the skin on my arm. I was able to use those means and that processing in being able to consider how my trauma impacted me and how to then move on from that. Because just like I'd moved on from the fear of sticking a needle in my dick, I was able to then think about other things within my life that were holding me back. As important as the piercings are to Neil's healing, they're also about challenging the status quo. Neil had long chosen ways of fitting in by sticking out, with spiked hair and loud punk music, with dreads and brash political activism. But as the body arts become more mainstreamed, they lose their subversive appeal and he starts ditching the hardware. These days, the needles, clasps and sleepers that used to adorn his body have all been removed. But the scar tissue is always there to remind him of some hard-earned wisdom. Yeah, it's still with me. And, you know, my left nipple is is much more swollen than my right, so when I'm wearing a T-shirt, my left one sticks out. There's lots of scars. Like, I've got a scar on my chin and you can see it. I still have to sit down to pee because I, I, I think I stretched it, the hole to about five mil. No, actually, it was more than that. That hole's going to be there forever. Neil is still an anarchist, but he's no middle-aged punk rocker. His blonde hair is closely cropped, and you're more likely to find him in jeans and sensible shoes than a studded jacket and docks. His left-wing politics remain intact, though. And these days, he works with Lifeline and Vinnie's, helping out the homeless in Perth, the city he's made peace with. I just immerse myself into supporting others that are less fortunate than I am. And I feel really good about that, and that's a bit less intense, but the similar kind of resolve that I used to get when I would do piercing. There's a lot that I struggle with still, but I'm still alive.
This story was produced on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri and Gadigal peoples. It was reported by Sam Wicks. Our sound engineer was Isabella Tropiano. Sophie Townsend is our executive producer. And music courtesy of Neil's band, Controlled by Fear. There's a lot more to Neil's story. And to hear it, check out Firebomb, the latest season of Unraveled True Crime. You'll hear more about Neil's run-ins with Perth skinheads and neo-Nazi gangs. Firebomb tells the incredible story of a neo-Nazi terrorism campaign against Chinese restaurants in Perth in the 1980s. Just search for the Unraveled podcast and you can find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts, which is, incidentally, where we are too. And in the next days like these, we've got an episode about the frustrations of addiction and family secrets and the wonders of long-distance love. I'm on a Saturday news shift in an ABC Queensland regional bureau which means I'm driving around to community events, interviewing people before I race back to the office to file Hello, stories. How are you doing today? Oh, good, thank you. Very well. Can you tell me your name? Robbie. Robbie, and what are we doing today? So far, I've accidentally ended up at a body surfing competition when I meant to go to a surfing competition. Turns out they are very different. I've been splashed with colour at the Sunshine Coast first ever Holy Festival and I've interviewed some delightful Mulaney artists. I quite like these kinds of days. The busyness keeps my FOMO at bay and makes me feel less homesick for Sydney. And while I'm driving, in between interviews, I swap Hi. voice memos with Claire. Hi, hello, Eve. I am just rolling into Mudgee. Hello. I have just roughed up to Mulaney, the cutest little town. And rambling um, voice memo for you to listen to at your own free will. Um, but yeah, I phone call would be better. listening to you ramble about absolutely Long story short, good luck with your work. Um, you are a powerhouse and I love you. <laughs> Bye. That's next week on Days Like These. See you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.